Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. I hope you know that by now. And it's always much appreciated when you tune in. Today, I'm joined by the voice of the Washington Commanders, Bram Weinstein, as we discuss the Commanders draft and the remaining needs. We also talk a little bit about Sam Howell because he's the quarterback and they didn't take one, as you know. A lot of mystery around Sam Howell because, listen, you can have your thoughts and opinions, and right now, who's to say you're wrong? Because we don't know. There's a lot to see about Howell and where he goes because he's a key to this season, big key. But how secure are they with Jacoby Brissett behind them? We talk about that as well. By the way, I wrote a story on on Sam Howell for ESPN.com, and it's all about why they feel confident, why they think he can be the guy and his improvement it wasn't just the Dallas game. It was a couple of plays in particular that he made the Dallas game and why he made them or how he made them, what it meant to them. Also, the work leading into that, things they started to see in practice told them that he might be the guy. That's why they're in this position. And anyway, so there you go. Look for that on ESPN.com. So before I get to my interview with Bram, and by the way, I'm going to continue to have people on talking about the commander's draft picks just so you get an idea of their class. I'm going to have Fred Smoot on for Monday talking about Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin, but a lot about Forbes and is the weight really an issue? How Fred Smoot overcame his own weight issues. I'll be talking to analysts like Jordan Reed about the draft and more and more and more and more coaches talking about players they coach that are now in Washington. So look for that. It's going to be over the next several weeks. I'll have all this stuff. Rookie minicamp is a week from Friday. Stay tuned for that. I'll do. I'll be there wrapping that up. That's all that good stuff. So before I get to my interview with Bram, though, I do want to go over a couple items that you know have been kind of coming out in the last couple of days, and just some ownership and with the stadium site, especially the one at RFK, which I know everybody would love to go back down to. Let's start with the ownership group. First of all, the thing's dragging on. And I'm not, I don't want to get into too much detail about what is all going on. Just suffice to say, it hasn't been signed and it hasn't been submitted to the league. They are reviewing the Josh Harris offer and, they, and they're, they're having to fine tune things and some of the financing, or whatever. So just know that that's where it's at. Don't want to get into this whole big discussion on that. But one thing that did come out today from Sportico, from, and I was able to confirm that, and then also the Post reported someone else. A couple of names emerged who are also part of the limited partner or part of the Harris group. They're not new investors, but they are new names to the public. So it's not like they were just added to help with the, you know, secure financing to help this and that. They were part of this group. They just now were finding out who they are. So one of them is Alejandro Santo Domingo, who is a Colombian billionaire, family worth a reported $12.5 billion. 
sits on the board of Anheuser-Busch, owns a 1% stake in Anheuser-Busch. And if you remember, Budweiser pulled out as a sponsor from Washington last year. Also know that this team is well aware, and Jason Wright told me at the owners' meetings, that once this thing goes through, they're going to see more sponsors coming on board and more suites being sold. So there you go. Just whatever. Anyway, the another one is Mitchell Morgan. This is what the Post reported. Mitchell Morgan, a founder CEO of Morgan Properties based in Pennsylvania. Another one coming out. Another one that has been named. Again, you know, one, one person from the Harris Group told me these are not new names but they, excuse, they're not new names to them. They're not new investors, but they are new names to you and I. There you go. Now, RFK. So the Washington Post reported some, some positive developments in that. You can go read their story on, on WashingtonPost.com. And just so how like the, the approach of the team is, has been taking to try and work toward getting a stadium built there. And then also mentioning some of the hurdles that definitely, definitely still remain in the quest to go back downtown. And then WUSA 9 reporter Eric Flack reported, he had a quote from a committee member that I think I want to give, that I want to give to you. I think it's kind of a, it's a big statement and it also indicates where they're at. One thing to know with the Republicans in charge of Congress, this team has felt that it was a better chance for them to get to have the federal government sell, lease, give the land to the district, which is the very first step before anything else, before until until that happens, RFK is not on the table. So, but this is why this quote is significant, and this is what Eric Flack had, and it was from a the spokes a spokesman for the House Committee on Natural Resources. He told him that there's no reason the federal government should control access to so much land. That's key because again, it all starts with them giving the land or selling the land or leasing the land to the district. If the Democrats had been in charge, the feeling was, first of all, they felt they feel like they'd probably still be investigating the franchise. And in the past, they were reluctant to work with this team until they changed the name. Well, that part is out the window, but the investigation would have continued. That's why I point out the political um, affiliation, because it's significant. It's important to this story. So you can take it wherever you want. Go do your own political battles. But this is just part of the story and why it, it matters to hear, because a month ago, month ago, several weeks ago, I think I told, I know I told you that, that there was, while RFK would be a desired site, it was an, it was still an awfully difficult place to imagine them getting to. And people, and there were people in other jurisdictions, people with the team had doubts that, they, that it could be pulled off. I think some people feel a little bit better about the direction of where it could go. But I'm going to caution you that just saying that doesn't mean that they're going to go there Here's what we don't know what Josh Harris, what the Josh Harris group wants. And this is people who are with the team now. We don't know if the Harris group is going to, you know, what they're going to do with the, with anybody here. But I do sense, like I said, more of an opening for the, for optimism to go back down there. Um, a couple of things you need to know still with that is again, <clears throat> hurdle. So, Let's say they let's say the federal government decides to give the land to the district or sell the land, whatever they want to do with it. It's approximately 200 acres. Um, and there's some, you know, anyway, I think there's some wetlands on there, but there's two, approximately 200 acres. So there's enough to build a stadium and then some other, you know, whether it bars, restaurants, hotels. 
There may be some council members who want something thrown in for their constituents, whether it's a rec center or something like that. So that's something that could be put in there as well. They're not, they would not build a practice facility down there. I've been told that a couple of times because they, I think they still want that out in the suburbs. My guess is still out in Virginia. And um, so there you go. But among some of the other issues that would remain is, would the city council be in favor of this? Because there are some people on there who definitely would not be. Some people who were definitely not in favor of it no longer are on the city council. So that's kind of uh, a, a key development there. And you know, I do think that there's, again, more momentum for doing this. I think another thing to, to wonder about is, as far as the construction goes of a new stadium, when, if they got down to the district because of some of these red, the, the red tape and the hurdles, when would a stadium be ready? Because if it's the lease, the, the agreement with the team and PG County ends early in this 2027 season. So you could extend that to play all season there, or you could you could get out of it to play at a new stadium. Ideally, you you play no later than the 2028 season. The start of 2028 season would be at, at latest when you'd open a new stadium. Well, there, what if RFK would not if that site would not be ready for a couple more years? Would a group want to wait for that? Is the payoff worth it? We again, we all know the emotional attachment for for. Washington fans or anybody involved with this team to playing in the district. And plus it's the district. It's if they are the Washington commanders and you still can draw from Maryland. You can draw from Virginia and then obviously the district itself. Um, so that, but, but when would it be ready? Would there be some, there's still some hurdles there, some, some unknowns there, I should say. And then, um, you know, the, the financing of it, if, when you talk to some people, they feel like it would be more than 50% private financing if it's in the district, probably not as high if in the suburbs. So is that a factor or a consideration? And how, you know, again, how what's the cost for them willing to go down there and maybe have to absorb some other things just to get back down there? So those are all things that you have to consider. And it's it's why you can't you can't make that jump and hear the hear some of these things and the desire to for them to go back down there and just automatically assume that it's going to work. Still a lot of there's still steps that would have to take place and still some hurdles that remain. But I did sense more again, more optimism that they could be overcome than I did several weeks ago when talking to some of the same people. Is it real? We'll find out. So again, just one step at a time, folks. Proceed with caution, just like I told you with the ownership stuff. I would say the same thing here. But again, we all know what it would mean to go back down to the district. I will say, my guess would be there's a better chance of them going down to the district than there is of changing the team name. It's all a guess. Anyway, that's it for me, folks. But I did want to go over that real quick. So now you know. Now, here's my conversation with the voice of the commanders, Bram Weinstein. And by the way, I'll be back next um, on. Sunday with another interview. I'm going to be talking to Fred Smoot about Emmanuel Forbes. And we go over a lot of the weight stuff because Fred played at a smaller weight. What did he do to overcome it? And how excited was he that they drafted the guy that he was touting on here and elsewhere several weeks ago? And I also asked him about Quan Martin as well. So stay tuned for that. And then stay tuned for next week. I'm going to have more coaches and more analysis of their draft be talking to Jordan Reed from ESPN early next week. At some point, I have Matt Bowen on here to talk about the team and then also the NFC East. Have more coaches talking about these players. 
So stay tuned for all that because I'm trying to bring you as much insight as I can into who the newest commanders are. And by the way, there is a rookie mini camp a week from Friday. So I'll be out there for that and have a little slight wrap up after the mini that rookie mini camp ends um, a week again, a week from Friday. So there you go. That's it. Let's get to my conversation with the voice of the commanders, Bram Weinstein. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Did you know the largest ropes course and zipline park in the country is right here in the DMV? Located in the heart of Montgomery County, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring combines climbing and ziplining to create an aerial obstacle course unlike any other. With challenges anywhere from 10 to 75 feet in the air, there is something for all skill levels. Looking for some family time or the perfect date night before football season starts? You can even climb and zip line under the stars. Would you rather keep your feet on the ground? Give axe throwing a try. With their projector systems, you can throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's KIME, K-E-I-M, 23-D-C. So there you have it, folks. Climbing, ziplining, axes, food, and bonfires right in your backyard. The weather is warming up, so it's the perfect time to head outside and join the adventure at www.theadventurepark.com. That's www.theadventurepark.com. And enter promo code KIME, 23 DC. Bram, we haven't had a chance to talk, at least not on the air, or at least not on here, about the draft since it happened. So in general, what was your take on the commander's draft? Two things. Like, um, they clearly picked need position groups. Um, I don't think they could fill all of them. This goes back to what we talked about from the get-go. I just don't think they had, an, had too many holes to fill in the drafted free agency without really spending a lot. And that was obviously never going to happen with all the uncertainty with ownership. Right. So I think they did target position group needs. So I think that's a good thing. And then I would say at the top of the draft um, that they took big swings. Like that they not only went after guys that they needed at certain positions, but they didn't just take somebody that they thought might be good at the position. They took a shot at someone they could hit a home run with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, let, let's see how it goes. Were you surprised? Well, we talked about Forbes on the podcast after it happened, but in hindsight, you know, were you, is there any surprise? Is there any, you know, do you like the direction they went there with the first two picks, just knowing what you just said? 
Uh, you know, like, I mean, this is just nitpicky because like after they took Juan, I'm like, well, they do need that too. So it's not like they didn't. Right. Um, I, I believe, you know, when Martin Mayhew was saying we tried to trade up, um, I think he's talking about the second round. I don't know that for sure, but I, but you know, there were reports going into day two of the draft that they were trying to get the first pick in the draft. And that my gut says that was for the TCU guard um, I, or, or an offensive you. lineman. That's what my gut says about that. So I think if they could have a do over or, you know, like I think they probably would have taken whoever they thought was best interior offensive lineman off the board earlier, but the draft didn't go that way. They didn't get a deal done, but that's, that's speculation. Like, but I, he said, we tried to trade and that's why, that's what I think he was referring to when he talked about that. <laughs> so I think they would have taken an offensive lineman earlier than they did. Um, but then once they got to the third round, it became very clear that this is a position group that needed to be addressed. And so I wasn't surprised for a second that that's the direction they went. Right. In the next two picks. And, you know, it is funny because I don't know for sure that that was who they would have targeted had they traded up. <clears throat> but I would have I would have put my money on that one as well, because yeah. he went pretty high. I know Matthew Bergeron was another guy they liked. And I know they like Juan Martin. Um but I, Avila, man, he fit them so well with what they would have wanted to do. But again, He's got the I haven't had anybody looks, there tell me like that they stud. would. Yep. Yeah. I haven't had anybody there tell me, oh, yeah, we were targeting um, this guy or that guy. But I think when you when you deduce things and when you try to trade up and you know that that guy's probably going to go pretty high in the second round, then that would it would make sense. But you know, again, that's our speculation more than it is reporting. So, but yeah, they did take a couple guys. I do wonder, Bram, though, when you look at that, like, are there any draft picks beyond those first two that you say, I'm anxious to see this guy? Uh, Well, you know, I mean, obviously there's an open competition on the interior offensive line. So can the fourth round pick Daniels be someone who's in that mix? It The early returns I got were probably not, but that like, who knows? And that he, He's going to be a development player, and then they think he could be a pretty good player down the line. Um, and then outside of that, you know, I think, you know, I think I want to see Forbes, you know, obviously, like, what does he look like on the field? Does he actually look small? Is he, you know, bigger in person than what's being portrayed? No. And then I want to see him run with guys. I mean, we're going to see it early. He's going to be practicing against Dotson and McClellan. So I think it's, it's going to be a perfect, like, setup to get a good look at this guy and see is he going to be able to give them on this level what he gave Mississippi state on the lower level? And, you know, it's funny, like, you know, honestly, like if you really think about it, like I think they were going to take a tackle early. If one of the four, you know, fell to them, they didn't, you know, I, I believe them when they say we had Forbes really, really high and they might've taken him anyway, but I don't know, you know, so like that was taken out of their hands. The guard I think they liked clearly ended up being taken out of their hands. They tried to go move up and get him, got taken out of their hands. So the draft, I don't think exactly fell exactly how they would have liked, uh, but they got to make do with the guys that they got. And in the end, like, think about this whole setup now. Like, Chase Young is an expiring contract. Montez Sweat is. Cam Curl is. Kendall Fuller is. Antonio Gibson, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas. Now you're bringing in what you think is a home run hitter for you, the missing link to turn your good defense into a great one. But there are questions about intangibles about him, specifically his size, really more right. than anything. And it it feels it's like set up for this could go one way or the other. This could be galvanizing and we're all in it together. We all got to play well because we all got to get money and we all got to win. 
Um, or, you know, this is a powder keg, really, honestly. There's a <laughs> lot, there's a lot there. You know, there's a lot of guys that I, I this is the, the thing that I was worried about when they didn't pick up Chase Young's extension. I'm like, there's just a lot of people that are playing for contracts at the same time. And it it feels like it's a little unusual, frankly. It's a little bit unusual, um, especially for some of the bigger name guys. But I do, what I wonder is if they are able to extend Montez Sweat before the season, because if you're going to extend one of the two for them, it's going to be him. And I still would not have picked up Chase Young's only because it's guaranteed. And I'd want to see more. I don't, I don't like the idea of, if he doesn't have the kind of year you have now you're on the hook for over 17 next year. And I'd want to see what he can do, but you're right. And that's why with cam curl being, you know, he's another guy they'd want to keep, but then that's going to also depend on Bram. What happens with this season and with this new ownership group. And there's so many questions that, that are, that surround this team going forward. Yes. I mean, like, and so I get where Rivera and company are coming from. Like, they have to win. They have to prove that the direction of the franchise is where they think it's going so that the new ownership and, you know, like I think the good news with assuming the new ownership is going to be the group that everyone thinks it's going to be. And I, I can't say that's final because it's not signed, but I, obviously I believe that that's, this is the group it's going to be. It's, yeah. I think the good news for them, and this is what's different about like when Rivera dealt with an ownership change in Carolina is this group owns professional sports franchises and stable ones frankly and so i don't think that they're going to walk i don't think there's there's no fear on my end and i would think that there's not on their end that this is someone who's going to walk in there not unlike what tepper did in carolina make a lot of changes really fast you know to try to make a splash and do big things and trade this draft pick for that that quarterback and maybe overpay here fire their coach in the middle of the season like new owners have a tendency you saw this in phoenix with the suns like they went and got kevin durant you know the guy has owned the team for two months like you could see that with new ownership. I don't think you're going to see that here. I, I believe that this group, whenever it does get final, and it, it may take a little while still, so that may stop them from any inclination of any change they want to do anyway. But I don't think they would just off of, you know, knowing the profile of who they are and the fact that this isn't their first rodeo owning a professional sports franchise. So I think they'll let it play out through the year. But from Rivera's point of view, Jason Wright's point of view, and everybody's point of view, they know they have to win. Um, their quarterback situation uh, is not inspiring a lot of confidence nationally, for sure. Go look at like the win totals over unders on them. That is directly correlated Correct. to belief in Sam Howell. It has nothing to do with this. If you look at this roster, uh, you can't come up with they're going to be really bad. But if you look at Sam, believe in him, then you just assume that because of quarterback play, it's going to affect them. Outside of that really big open question, like I think they're looking at it going, we're all fighting. We're all in this together. We're all fighting to be here. Um, some of, you know, some of you are certainties like McLaurin and Allen and guys like that, but the rest of you are not based on the situation and the way the roster has been set up with how many guys are, you know, dealing with end of contract situations and the type of boomer bust draft picks that they use. It does totally read to me like, <laughs> here we go, you know, buckle up. This one's going to be something this year. Oh yeah. And you know, it is, um, speaking or to the Harris group because they've owned those two teams. And I think they've shown a level of patience with the building project for both those organizations. And he was also part of the Steelers minority ownership group. So, you you know, it was only for a few years, but I think you get a sense of the NFL and how it has to go. So I think that boat that will at least give them a chance to show. And it's funny because one of the things that 
I think people think that this team doesn't use analytics at all. And one of the, again, one of the things um, that, yeah, I mean, I hear them reference, like even last year with Carson Wentz, like I had people telling me like, look at the, look at the analytics. This is what the analytics showed about him. So they do use it. And I've heard it more and more. Like there were some, and I don't know if it was Quan Martin or not, but I knew that going into the draft, there was a safety they really liked because his analytics compared to a cam curl. Now, what were those analytics? Was it was it the size and the speed? Was it the production? I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was the use of it. And I bring that up because the Harris Group uses analytics a lot. That's one of the things I saw from him in an interview that with both his organizations, they use that a lot. So I think they would use that and then kind of um, and sounds like a, a patient process and not making radical changes. I also believe that because we don't know when he's going to finally be approved, that you can't come in and really do anything right away anyway. So, you know, but it, so it does give them a chance this year. And that's why with the whole Howell thing that I tell people, like, this is a group that has to win. And this is the guy they're rolling the dice with. And so it should make you wonder, like, what is it they're seeing in him or saw in him, not just in that game, but throughout the year that says, like, this is the guy they're rolling with, you know? And, and yeah. Yeah, I think it, it remains like, you know, you and I lived this for the last few months where there's all these reports or really just speculation that, come on, you know, they're going after Lamar Jackson or <laughs> like, come on, like, how could they not, you know, or, oh, you know, they're trying to trade up to get a quarterback or they're going to make a move for this guy or that guy. And the whole time, you know, because we're way closer to it than the people who do this speculating and have these platforms and speculate on it. We knew they weren't going to right now. Why do they have this confidence in how I guess we'll see, you know, like, because I'm willing to also hear out. This is a fifth round pick. He yeah. played in one game last year. I thought he played very well against Dallas, but if you want to talk about stats and analytics, go look at his numbers. Really? And if you just see them on paper in that game, you're not going to be blown away by no. anything that he actually did in that game. Dallas really lost because Dak Prescott went 14 of 37 more than Sam Howell, you know, winning the game or, throwing for 400 yards. That actually didn't happen. He threw for 180 yards. I, granted, I liked what I saw too. And I thought for like a first glimpse of it, I really liked it. And in the summer, I liked him. And I do think his experience level matters. Like for crying out loud, like the Colts just drafted a guy who's played in 13 games and completed 50% of his passes. I get it. He's an unbelievable athlete. He sounds like he's a wonderful kid. Like yeah. there's a lot of really, really major positive things. And obviously if he figures it out and becomes a really good quarterback he looks like he might be cam newton like he could be really 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 good but like to sit here and go how's gonna not be good go look at his experience level i think like there is a i'm, I'm open to uh, getting away from this criticism i'm open to seeing it but clearly nationally nobody believes in it well like, nobody think, right yeah I, and that's right like todd mcshay has his his 2024 mock out and he has these guys trading up for Drake may. So, so yeah. And, and well, listen, the beauty for Sam Holland for these guys is show it on the field. And I also, right. and I said this on the last podcast, do not underestimate the impact of Eric B in this entire situation for this offense and the organization. I just like, you already hear things about things that he's been able to get changed or his suggestions that are being followed because he just has a conviction about things and the way he is with guys in the field. We'll get into more of that later, but sp sticking with how I actually wrote a piece on ESPN.com about this, 
about why, 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 what is their belief in how is it? It's more than just that game. It's what they saw throughout like the season with his improvement of his footwork and some of the things he showed in practice and then the stuff that translated to the game. And so, you know, so you, they took all that. And here's the other thing. Richardson's a phenomenal talent, but man, like after that first week of the season where he had this great game against Utah, I'm like, Oh, I got to watch this kid. Cause Shoot, you don't know where what's going to happen here, and maybe you have to be familiar with him. And the next game, I was like, "Oh my God, he was horrible." Yeah. So it just tells me like the learning curve for that guy is pretty high. And I only bring him up because like when you look at how and people have said this, what if he had come out the year before? Where would he have gone? And he certainly would have gone higher than the fifth. Now I don't know that he would have gone in the first. I don't view him as a first round type of traits in the talent. However. He would have gone a lot higher because the production was there. And, you know, if Richardson had gone back and he has the same kind of year, does he fall? Where does he yeah. fall to? So it, you don't you don't know. And and I know um, it just listen, he's got to make it work because they are pinning their hopes on him. And so the only quarterback that I know that they the one quarterback I kept hearing that they liked in this draft was Hendon Hooker for the value if they got him in the third round. Right. And and that's where because then you're getting a first round talent in the third round. And um, so that's it, the one that, you know, you know, it was really interesting, too, is the last two years, you know, Rivera's put a lot of eggs in baskets that are completely uncertain at the quarterback yeah. position. Like I, I like I, you know, I'll hear out the analytics on Carson Wentz. This was one of those. The eye test told you this might be a problem. Like, yeah, you know, and I was willing to believe, you know, okay, I'm not a football coach, you know, I don't know how to unlock something like this. Like, clearly this guy was something before he's not currently, can you reel that back in and make him the guy that he was? And they couldn't, you know, and, but they put a, they're walked into a, it's year three. We know we have to win season and put their eggs in a basket in a quarterback who, you know, clearly needed to get fixed. Yeah. And here we are in year four with new owner coming in. You're trying to sell, you know, direction of the franchise is going the way we want it to go. Um, we're right there. You know, like we're just, we're this close to being really competitive and more. And you're putting your eggs in a, in a basket of someone who's very inexperienced and a fifth round pick. I mean, it's an interesting choice that yeah. they've made the last couple of years at the most important position. Yeah. No, it's a it's a definite roll of dice. I do like the fact that Jacoby Brissett is here because I, I think too. his floor is at a certain level. And I 100%. think hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent so with you on that. Like that Heineke not coming back and them getting him is actually I think like a gift. Oh, honestly, yeah. like I love Heineke. You know that I love him. But like, had he been the primary in in hindsight now? Had he been the primary backup? And they weren't going to let him win the job, obviously, because they'd want Hal to win. So it wouldn't have been a real competition. This one will be now. And then secondarily, if they need to make a move to this guy, I feel way more confident that they have an opportunity with him um, to potentially win and use the skill position players and still score some points than they did with Heineke from what I've seen over the course right. of the year. And I, I love him. You know, like, I love the guy, but, like, I do think they upgraded at the back of quarterback I, position. Definitely. And it may be necessary this yeah, year. No, yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's funny because we, I talked to, well, we, there, Mark Dominic, former GM in the NFL, had a conference call a couple weeks ago before the draft. And one of the, I, I did ask him about 
going with Howell and, you know, how he compared. And I wrote a story about this, how these guys compared Howell to this draft class because you're basically bypassing a lot of these guys in favor of Howell. And in most cases, they had him about fifth, sixth in this, that, uh, out of this class. Most of them had him as a second to third round type guy the year before. I think Matt Miller from ESPN was the only one who really didn't like him. And he still, I don't think he still does, but that's okay. Like, listen, you know, that's what, what people have to realize too, when the people evaluate it, there's never unanimity, even within an organization, right. you're not going to get unanimity. I mean, there were guys that had him as a late first here last year, and some guys had him in the third round. And so you don't get that. So when you see people with these evaluations, like just understand there's never unanimity and it very rarely would you have that. So, but his right, point, his point I mean, well, you know, listen, I mean, it's, it's easy if you have the top pick, and the top pick happens to be Peyton Manning. Like it, even then, you know, like that's even easy. Then. That's anybody can do that, you know. But like beyond that, I agree. There's actually, and, and go back to Richardson just for a second. Your colleague Stephen Holder wrote a really great background piece yes, of how they did. came around to that decision. And like in it is honest quotes from people high up in the organization, outwardly questioning how can we do this with his experience level and his right. metrics. Like right. how in the world can we do this? And, you know, so I actually thought it was a very honest look behind the scenes at how yeah. how many different opinions weighed into the selection of him. And he's right. the fourth overall pick. And like yeah. and anybody who watches him can look at him and go, boy, if that guy pans out, he's going to be amazing. You know, yeah. anybody yeah. can see that. Right. And, you know, it's funny because even like Peyton Manning and I know there's a revisionism with it. But at the time they would say and with that, like they weren't fully sold until shortly before the draft. And in hindsight, it looks like, how could you not be? But at the time, he and Ryan Leaf, it was a lot closer than people probably realized. So you don't, you really get that. But with my point on it too, what Dominic was saying is that, you know, this team, this, these guys need to win. And so, because they know that this new ownership group is going to come in and like, they're going to be measured by this Howell decision. And it's going to be like, wait a minute, you pinned your hopes on this guy, or it's going to be, wow, they pinned their hopes on this guy and look what he did. One or the other. And, and so it's, it is a, it's a role, but, but I, again, I wrote, you know, people can go read the story on ESPN.com, but a lot of it was, you know, the way he worked on his footwork and the, 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 what he showed in practice with the decision-making. And even in that game against the Cowboys, there were a couple of decisions he made, like the first touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin was off a pre-snap read. And while it looks like in somewhat of an easy decision. It was made because of his pre-snap understanding of what Dallas was doing. And then put, and then he, he knew where he could go with the ball after he looked to the right, he is McLaurin coming across the middle. And he knows that like Dallas played this defense where they switched the linebacker with the, the guy over um, McLaurin, almost like he's like a hold guy in the middle and they switch roles to take away that cross. But he knows that because they're a man, if you let him clear, you got the touchdown and you hit him and tried yeah. little things like that gave them that, that. And again, we're extrapolating here what he might do. Cause the beauty of this Bram is nobody knows. And that's, what's going to make, to be honest, it's like, it's going to make the spring practices interesting. It's going to make training camp interesting. Cause where is Howell at with his development? How did he look today? That's going to be fun to watch, to measure that progress. And it makes, again, yes. it makes, it always makes it interesting when the quarterbacks have focal point. This team also, and, and like this, this is where Heineke deserves a lot of credit. 
like this team rallied around behind a guy that they knew wasn't a top tier quarterback, you know, and no yeah. offense to Heineke, like they're, you know, they did yes. twice. They did, you know? And so can they do that again? And this is where the part about everybody's contract being up at the same time worries me. Like, I, I, I will say this for like, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of criticisms of either some of the decisions that Rivera's made or the record, you know, and like losing some of these close games. I think that's fair criticisms. You know, that's football yeah. criticism. That's yeah. fair. I will say this for him in the three plus years that I've covered him. And this is why I, I root for him openly. And I know that's biased because I work for the team, obviously, but like I root for him. They play hard for him. Like they do the him. locker room plays hard for him with a couple of exceptions here, there, but the locker room plays really hard for this guy. My biggest concern about this year, because of all the uncertainty with ownership and obviously everybody knows that a lot of change could be coming or, or it might not, you know, and we won't really get a real sense of that until they take over and we talk to the new owners and get a sense of how they're thinking through the next couple of years on the football side of the operation. Like we won't know, but it's natural to feel like that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. W what scares me about it is, is that because so many prominent players are not secured contractually beyond this year that that unraveling of that unity and cohesion, there's a pathway to that. And that's what worries me this year. Like, I don't want that to happen. Um, and I do think that it will, what's going to end up mattering this year is something Rivera is going to have to fix. And I don't think there's any, any argument about this. They cannot start slow again. No, they God. cannot be one in four. You can't afford that. Like, that cannot happen again. No, like, no. I appreciate that he's made this team extremely resilient, that they're at their best even after slow starts, that they don't quit, that they don't give up, that they're in playoff hunts, even though they have disastrous starts to their right. seasons. But if that happens again, he's based on all of this other stuff going on, I don't know that they'll overcome it. So they've got so. to figure out a way to be better at the beginning of the season this year. Yeah, and especially, like, listen, when you look at the Eagles and what they've done and how good they are, you can't fall far behind them at all. Or, you know, and you don't – this NFC East is going to be good again and very tight, so you can't do that, but he can't afford that. I don't think a new ownership group is going to put up with that, and that's just my – that's just common sense, that if you do that, it's like, well, then where are you really going? Are, are you going to rally for an eight and nine year? Well, that's not good enough. So maybe you just pull the plug at that time because you're going to ultimately do it at the end of the season and you get a jump start to see, maybe you put the enemy in to see, can he be the guy? Maybe you get your, put yourself in position to go somewhere else. So they know that. I think they, I think they're well aware that you cannot start slow. Let me ask you, we got a few minutes left. So let's go over a couple of positions. I'm curious your thoughts. We talked a lot about the offensive line last year at this time. Did they do enough? And there was concern. Like I thought the depth was better. I know you did not. I thought the depth was better, had concerns about the starters. You weren't fond of it at all. So what? where do you think that line is at right now? Have they done enough? Uh, um, I mean, I, I appreciate that they got a couple of guys I think they can plug in and start in free agency. And I actually, I, I said this when this first happened, I go, the guy I'm actually excited about that they got was Gates. Like, yeah, as, I as think long he'll as he stays healthy. He, he really was a difference maker for the Giants once he got healthy and started playing at what I think is his best position center. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, obviously some decisions need to be made and he could be moved to guard if they feel like they have to he's do a that. Center. But, but I think he's a center. Yeah, he's and a I, center. what I saw when I watched him, especially if you watch late in the season, once he came back and got plugged into that position, he's an animal. Like, yeah. so I actually, I'm very excited assuming he can stay healthy because he had a serious leg injury. Um, 
Assuming he can stay healthy, I feel really good about that. And man, does this team need some luck at the center position. I mean, I've never seen anything like this the last couple of years where they're going through players at the position. So I like that addition. Um, Wiley is the right tackle, knows the B enemy stuff. So I like that. Um, I think it should be an upgrade from where they are. Is he going to make a Pro Bowl? Probably not. You know, right guard feels unsettled to me, although I'd like to be optimistic about Cosme that he transitions there. Got to show it. And then to be to be fair to him, like, let's put him there, leave him there, not rotate him around, let him, you know, buy into the position move. Like, because I thought what happened to him last year really was unfair to judge him over. Like, I've never seen anybody do that before. And I thought that was really tough on him. Left guard's an open question. That's why I think they would have traded up and got that guy from TCU and have plugged him in. Um, and then left tackle, like, I love Charles Leno. He's a great guy. Like, no one's going to call him a top five tackle, you know? So I would describe this unit as better than it was. I feel a little bit better about it. I'm glad they drafted youth and depth, um, but, but I don't think it's their strength. How's, mm-hmm. Is that a fair way to put it? I don't think yeah. it's their strength. And I, so I think there's more to do, and I don't know how much more they can do this year. Um, but next offseason, there's no doubt in my mind that that a, a tackle is going to yeah. be a priority high in the draft. Or if Hal works out, they are. I'm convinced they'll be shopping in January for the Orlando Browns of the world and willing to pay to get a, a top tier tackle. I think the, the other thing that I'm curious to see is the impact that um, with the enemy. And I keep going back to this, but it is a change in this offense. And what is the impact on the line? And what are you asking them to do compared to what Scott Turner was asking them to do? And I know there were times that, you know, the with guys would they feel like they were on an island too much at times. And so, like, how do you mitigate that? Because not every system is the same when it comes to what you ask from the offensive lineman. And so what is, is there an impact there? And is this group good enough to go along with that? We'll see. Because I'm concerned or concerned. I'm curious to see what happens at left guard. And did they do enough? And Stromberg, the third round pick, is is more of a center. Daniels is more the fourth round pick more of a they like him as a tight end or excuse me a left tackle project what about like so two more linebacker need another guy yeah need another guy but that position I actually I feel okay about because just go look at what happened with all the fifth year options of players that can play but didn't have them picked up it is such a devalued position um, that I think that this is one of those post June one maybe early into camp they're going to get a veteran in here to bolster I would think I thought they were going to do it last year too. And they didn't. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> like, like, sorry, maybe I've I been saying this say for. Like, I thought they were going to do this too. This is one of the, like, here's the thing a tackle. You're kind of stuck with what you got. Outside of some kind of surprise, those guys are premium positions. They don't get cut after June 1. They're, they're not available. So this is something they're going to have to, I think, deal with for the year and move on with next year and try, probably have to address again. Linebacker is not that case. I think there's going to be available veterans for them yeah. post June 1. They got to go nab one and bring them in here because it just makes sense to have one for the fact that Cody Barton is inexperienced. It might not be an answer. And we've seen what David Mayo does as a full-time player on the field. And he's a liability. You know, he's a great special team player, terrific against the run, but in the past he can get exposed yeah, badly. So correct. you can't have him out there nope. that much. They need somebody else, but that's a position I think that you can probably grab at least a veteran to bridge to next year. And on the other side of it, go look at all these guys that are going to be available because no one picks up fifth year options because no one wants to pay the guaranteed money to the position. There's going to be a lot of available ones in the off season. So I'm actually like less concerned about that position. I think you can get viable, good players at cheap prices throughout the course of the entire football calendar. And now they just have to do it because as everybody's listening to it is saying, well, then why didn't they do it before? 
Well, you're right. So they have to do it. The other guy to watch at that position is Cleek Hudson, who had a really good final game. And yeah. the wonder is, did a light turn on for him in terms because he wasn't very good in coverage before? Did it? Did the light? Did the light flip switch on for him in that regard? And so, how does he progress in camp? That gives them another guy if he progresses and if he shows yeah. that that last game wasn't a thing. Last position, a lot of belly aching about tight end. My thing, and you know, was. I didn't think they were going to go for a tight end in the first round because the value is not there to, to what they needed and what else they could get. And then once you get past like the second round, then you have to ask yourself, is the guy you're drafting better than the guys on this roster? Does this guy have a legitimate chance to make a roster? And, and so it wasn't, and I do think, and I had Donnie Warren on here last year before training camp raving about the tight end group that they had here. So I think, you know, I, that's one where I'm like, okay, you didn't, they, they like them. We know they like them and they need Logan Thomas to be healthy and back to himself. But what do you think? Should they have done more there? Uh, the only one I was arguing pre-draft was Dalton Kincaid. And that's because I just firmly believe he's going to be really, really good yeah. and go look. I mean, yeah, he fell what, you know, nine picks after they picked him, but like a team jumped the Cowboys to get him. So like, obviously there's belief that he's going to be a really, really good player. Um, outside of that, like the rest of them, I thought there's a lot of good talent in this and that. So I thought maybe they would take one. Um, uh, and, but I'm with you here, really. I mean, this really is about Logan Thomas. Do they feel like he could be right. um, what he was it. pre the injury? And I will tell you, like, he looked a lot more like himself by about week 10, 11 last right. year, where all of a sudden he started to look like himself. Um, so as far as that goes, I think they probably feel comfortable for a year. Um, Bates is a very good blocking tight end. And between Rogers, Turner, and um, Hodges, Hodges, you know, I think they have a lot of good youth. I think they have found a hit in this guy, Rogers, frankly. Like, so I think like developing him seems really, you know, we'll see what the enemy says about it, obviously with a change here. But I think they, this is one of those, they got to find in him. It was obvious in training camp. I was glad he got an opportunity to play. Like it was obvious. So well, I think, you know, I think for a year, could they have upgraded? Sure. You know, like, yeah. but did they need to? No, they addressed right. positions they needed to do something about. Um, and in this one, that would have been a luxury pick. And I think Dalton Kincaid would have been an upgrade for them. But, you know, they still would have needed a corner. We would have been talking not about over, not over Forbes. Corner. Yeah, I they, I would take Forbes every you know over him, because if you get a playmaking corner for what their offense is going to be and what they're going to rely on, they have all these good receivers. They have a running game, blah, blah, blah. But I do. I thought maybe after this in the third round, if you wanted to get a guy there, or maybe late second, if one of the guys you like was there, you could do sure. it. But then sure. you have to say, is he going to beat out this guy? And the, the last thing I'll say on that, and again, I'm with you. You could have done it, but you didn't have to do it. And the other thing with with Rogers, and I know you got to go, is that people forget he transitioned from different positions. He was a quarterback. Like this, that was a new position for him last year. So see where he goes with it. You have to like, you you kind of have to project out a little bit with him to see like, does he take that big jump? I don't know, but I know that I liked what I saw. I liked his development as a blocker as well. So does, you know, if guys like that take a big jump, then you're going to say, oh, okay, but they have to take that jump. And that's where the coaching and development comes into play. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about Rogers, what I really like about him, and this is, this is just weird. This is, it's always, I hate saying this because it's so weird to say, like, but we watch these guys so closely. He's got an NFL body in comparison yeah. to a couple of the other guys he's competing with. And I think that was part of what stood out to me initially. You know it when you see it, he's got it. 
And um, and I do like the fact that he's an athlete. He was a quarterback, mm-hmm. and in fact, an effective one. They so, talked about putting uh, him at receiver too. Yeah, I, at I, first. I think they have a hit with him, and I would develop him yeah. personally. That's there how I look at it. All right, Bram. Thanks a lot. Yep. See ya. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's it for this episode. I'll be back Sunday night slash Monday morning with another episode talking to Fred Smoot about his favorite player in the draft, Emmanuel Forbes. Talk to you next time.